Good morning, Bethel Church family. So good to have you and so good to be able to praise alongside you, just praising our King Jesus, singing and getting into his word today. We're going to be looking at a message about doubt, going from doubt um, to belief and how Jesus is so gracious to the faithless and the doubting. And we'll be looking at Thomas today. Now, if this is your first time with us, make sure to fill out a connection card. You know, one of our core beliefs is that we want to be praying relentlessly because we can't do anything apart from Jesus. And because of that, we have ways that we can pray for you. So fill out a connection card. Let us know how we can be praying for you. And we would love to be praying for you in that way. Also, make sure to get out your Bibles. Get out your Bibles right now and flip over to John 20, verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which actually means the twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, you know, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And catch this, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those that have yet that have not seen and yet have believed. Let's bow our heads in prayer before we dive in today. Father in heaven, today your children are brought to a passage that reveals your grace that you pour out. You pour out to an undeserving people. Thank you, Lord, for how you continue to pursue us even in the midst of our unbelief and doubt. Listen to our prayer, Lord. Hear us as we call out to you. We pray expectantly today, Lord, that you will reveal in our hearts the amazing work that you have done on the cross. Give us this day, Lord, sight to see what you are doing in our midst. Help us with our unbelief. We love you and we cherish you, Lord. Amen. 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 Help me with my unbelief. This prayer is a prayer that I've heard a very long time ago. And for some of you younger folks, it was a really long time ago and you may not even have been alive. And for the older ones in the crowd, well, it might not seem like all that long ago. But I want you to get this picture, this idea of uh, 2002, Hamilton, Ontario, and specifically Dundas. And in Dundas, there's this peak. So uh, we'll have this picture that comes up here. And, and I want you to really picture this. You can see the leaves changing. You can see the train in the distance kind of like humming by and, you know, 
blaring its horn. If you're from Strathroy or Glencoe, you know exactly what that sounds like. And this young man is just sitting there on the edge of the peak, just kind of looking out and thinking about life. And you know, it's been a year since this young man went to a Christmas service and a church service for the first time. And in his life, he had, he had never really seen uh, church before up until that time. There was one at the end of his street and he, and he was kind of interested in it, but wasn't sure what to do. And now he had dove in feet first. And as he's going through scripture, Jesus is pointing out, do you see that? Do you see that? That's me in the Old Testament. That's me fulfilling that prophecy. Do you see there? That's me fulfilling that one too. And so he sits on the edge of that peak and he wrestles with unbelief. And he wrestles through God showing him what is true. You know, he's, he's, he looks out and just says, God, if you're real, if what, if what you say is true, then help my unbelief. And he lifted that prayer up. You know, his unbelief wouldn't be helped until February 12th, 2003, when he came to Jesus, when he, when he made a decision to follow Jesus. And that was 20 years ago. And you see, I still struggle with that. Even though I was sitting on that peak, I still struggle with unbelief. And so today, I want us to walk through that. If that's, if that's you, us seeing the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an amazing, amazing, amazing thing in our Christian experience. And it's foundational. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are fools. But we can see what it, what it looked like in Thomas to go from unbelief to belief. And how God just shows up over and over again. You see, loved ones, we may look at Thomas and say, dude, like what's with you? Why can't you believe? You've, you've been with Jesus for so long. You know, but Thomas's pattern isn't unique. And we're going to see that there's, there's people in the Bible that, that had this pattern of unbelief. And then we're going to see how they wrestled through it. And then at the end, we'll see how... Jesus is so gracious to the faithless and unbelievers. You know, some of us may need signs or drastic things to happen in our lives. To believe that Jesus is who he says he is. There are times when we go from confidence to not being confident at all. And then doubt kind of creeps in. But I want you to know this. Take this down if you're taking notes. Scripture clearly displays that our disposition is lack of faith and trust. But even in this, Jesus shows he is gracious to the doubting and faithless. Through our time this morning, we will see how God's grace is being poured out over and over again. So first off, let's talk about Thomas and his unbelief. But I want to take us back a little bit further in, was Thomas just always an unbeliever? Was he the guy that was just always skeptical about everything? And it was just like, yeah, that's not true. Got to show me the pictures. You know, you hear that sometimes on social media. I'm not believing that unless you show me the pictures. But some of us find ourselves in this spot where we're doubting, where we're not doubting, sorry, and life is good. 
So it's essential that we walk through and see that Thomas didn't always doubt. Because, you know, if you're in a place right now that you're not doubting, and then you come to a place of doubt, that could be really discouraging. Not doubting to doubting to belief. But we see in verse 24, there's this hint what's going on with Thomas at this point. So let's, let's go to verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, this is what I want you to see, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He was not with the disciples. You know, John doesn't just write that for, for absolutely no reason. There's a reason for that, and we're going to walk through that. We should pick up on this because this is kind of weird. Why wasn't he with him? Was Thomas out running errands? Was Thomas going to get groceries or pizza? And then Jesus showed up and he came back and he's like, what'd I miss? What'd I miss? No. This is shortly after Jesus died and all the disciples are together. And these guys were together often for several years. Jesus dies and they're broken. And they're sad about what's happening. One of the passages says they're weeping. Was it in part that they just didn't believe? Like they were like, man, this is, this is done. But they were still sticking together. Now this is a little speculation here, but Thomas at this point had decided, you know what guys, like you guys don't even believe. I can see that you don't believe. You guys are crying. I'm out of here. I'm going to go, I don't know. I'm going to go do my own thing. I can honestly see that you guys don't believe. So peace. It was that doubt and unbelief that was driving this in him. Now, was this, how, was this how Thomas always carried himself, as I had alluded to earlier? Was he always the doubting guy? And he's now, you know, given this moniker of the doubting Thomas. Let's look to John eleven sixteen. In the NLT, it says, Thomas nicknamed the twin, that's Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Whoa, wait, 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 what? Same Thomas, this, this doubting guy, also saying let's go to and die with Jesus? You know, Thomas at that point in time knew what the stakes were. This was Jesus going to raise Lazarus at this point in scripture. And where they were going, there were, there were Pharisees and there were, there were religious leaders. He wasn't speaking to Jesus dying on the cross. He wasn't saying, let's go to and die on the cross with Jesus. He was this, so don't get that confused. That's not what this is. At this point in the gospel story, there's lots of animosity towards Jesus at the time by the Jewish leaders. And Thomas, right here, he's ready. He is, he is almost like Peter at this point, just stepping out and saying, let's go. Let's follow this guy. And we'll die too. He loved Jesus so much. But how did he come from that place to a place of unbelief? Thomas was not always one of unbelief. And this should encourage those. So you, those that are out there that are doubting, you should be encouraged by this. That you may be in a place of unbelief or doubt. But you can come to a place of confidence like Thomas at the end of the story. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So Thomas is in this place. Show me the evidence. Then I'll believe. Thomas really shows his unbelief in this. In his response to the disciples. Show me the evidence. 
So in John 20, 25, it says, So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my fingers where the nails are, unless I put my hands in his side, I will not believe. The disciples are crazy excited to tell Thomas about the news. But you know what? He already had his argument ready. Show me the money. Show me the evidence. He already had it laid out. He already knew exactly what he was going to say. You know, you're not getting anything past this guy. His doubt was so ingrained in him that he had a list of items. This wasn't even just, hey, Thomas, Jesus raised from the dead. Okay, show me where he is. No, 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 no. This was systematic. He says, unless I see the nails in his hands, show me the nail marks. Okay. No, further, further. Let me put my hands in the nail marks. Uh, okay. No, 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 not just that. Let me put my hands in his side too. And if I can't do these things, if I can't do these three things, I will not, I will not believe. You know, as a young man sitting on that peak, I wrestle through many of these things as well. Give me a clear, concise description of the Trinity. Explain it to me fully and I'll believe. That's where I was at. Tell me why in Mark 16, verses 9 to 20 are only in some manuscripts. Tell me an exact reason to my liking, and then I will believe. You see, we come up with these lists. You know, show me this. Tell God to answer this. Where have I seen God do this? And if I don't get my, my checklist marked off, Forget it. Forget it. Loved ones, where are you at with your journey with God? Are you in a place where you're demanding answers? Are you in a place where you just don't understand why some things happen in your life? And you know, they just don't seem right. Are you in a place where you have to see all of the evidence laid out systematically, or you're like, count me out. I'm not going to be part of this. You know, I heard a story recently. A story about a young lady and a pastor. Pastor was Pastor Allen, and during... Uh, one of their, their times where, you know, they are, um, they're doing Alpha and they had this like uh, Holy Spirit weekend. This was a time where uh, Alan could pray for them and then people could, could ask for prayer and then also pray for others. And during this time, while Alan was praying, he heard this, he felt like, the Lord had spoken to him and said, Red Canary. He's like, okay, that's weird. 
Red Canary. And so when he was meeting with this couple, God prompted this pastor to share with the two people he was to pray with. And so when it came to pray with him, he was like, okay, it's going to sound weird. Maybe he didn't say it like this. You can ask Alan later. But does Red Canary mean anything to you? You know, the lady on the other side of the table, Aubrey, just started bawling. Her husband had no idea what was going on. She just started crying and crying. Why? Because all these memories flooded in. And you see, Aubrey, when she was a little girl, her dad raised red canaries. And one day while she was out there, she accidentally let one of the red canaries go. And she was upset about that. And her dad came home and he was like, you know, don't worry about it. That, that bird, like, it, it wasn't viable anyway. It, it, was, it, was, it was fine. It's fine. And uh, Audrey just, she held on to that for a very long time. But in that moment, she saw a sign. She saw that God sees her. No one else knew about that, not even her husband. Not because it was this traumatic event in her life and she didn't want to share it with anyone. It was just one of those things that happened as a child and she had forgotten about it. But no one would have known. And so the Lord placed that on Alan's heart to share that. And Aubrey came to Christ and her husband as well. And what an amazing story. Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. You know, you see, even in our unbelief, God doesn't give up. He is so gracious to those that are faithless and doubt. He continues to chase us down. Further, this isn't the first time this happened in Scripture. Let's look way back to Genesis 15. So this scenario of unbelief to the Lord showing up, to the person then being like, wow, I believe this is amazing. This isn't the first time. I'll give you one example. There's many I could go to, but I'll give you one example in Genesis 15. This is about Abraham. And you see in Hebrews, before we go to Genesis, in the book of Hebrews, it says this. What is faith? It is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. You see, loved ones, Abraham is considered one of the big heroes of the faith. He's considered one of the big guys, one of the ones that had the strongest faith. Yet when we read this account in Genesis... He actually was a doubter at one point. So Genesis 15, 2 to 6 says, What good are your blessings when I don't even have a son? God, you you say you're going to bless me? This is Abraham. I don't even have kids. How am I supposed to be blessed? What What is Abraham wrestling with there? He doesn't see a systematic way through it. He doesn't see how God could bless his family. Because he doesn't see the evidence. Yet God responds. Listen here, folks. 
God could have just said, well, fine, I'll move on to the next guy. But God responds. He says, you will have a son on your own to inherit everything I am giving you. Look up into heaven and count the stars, if you can. Your descendants will be like that, too many to count. And Abraham believed the Lord. Evidence of things we cannot yet see. Abraham could no way see that. No way see that, but he had faith. He went from unbelief to faith. There are many that walk through this journey when our first inclination is not believing. It's not belief, but it's unbelief. That's where we rest. Even those that are considered most faith-filled by God, even those that are considered most faith-filled in the scriptures, go from unbelief to belief. So what makes you and I any different? So if you're in a spot of doubting, will you always sit there? No. No, loved one, you will not. This is God showing his grace to you and me. That he continues to pursue us even when we doubt. Even when our faith is lacking. And even when we demand. That's right, demand from the God of the universe the one that created everything, to show us a sign. God could have said to to Abraham, fine, have it your way. You're right. You won't have any kids. Because that's what you believe. But he didn't. No, instead he enters into conversation with Abraham and allows him to see what he's going to do in the future. And Abraham believes. And one ought to see that Thomas is not the only one who doubted. He wasn't the first, and he won't be the last. But in that doubting, there is grace upon grace from Jesus, and that is what we're going to see. But before before we go into that, before we see more of Thomas's story, who else doubted in the scriptures? Who else? So we have Abraham who went from doubt to belief, but who else doubted? The doubting and the faithless are many. The disciples came to Thomas only believed after Jesus had seen them several times. Even though we often point to Thomas as the doubting one, Jesus had actually showed up to the disciples several times before they believed. They didn't believe the first time they saw him either. In John 21, 12, it says, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. But... There's this little thing that John puts in, this little nugget he writes. This was the third time he appeared to them. None of the disciples dared to ask him who you are. They knew he was the Lord. Oh, but by the way, this is like the third time that Jesus has been there. It's not the first. Remember, Thomas had not even seen Jesus. Verse 24 says Thomas was not with the disciples. Thomas wasn't with the disciples before. Thomas hadn't seen Jesus. This is the first time Jesus showed up. Another spot where the disciples don't believe. In Mark 16, 13 to 14, when they realized who he was, they rushed back to tell others, but no one believed them. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. And what did Jesus do? He rebuked them for their unbelief, their stubborn refusal to believe. 
those who had seen him after he had risen. Jesus shows frustration with unbelief. Must I do miracle, miraculous wonders before you people will all believe me? Now, the point of this isn't that Jesus showed frustration. The point of this is that he was frustrated because so many people didn't believe. Must I just keep showing you all these miracles and signs? even though you don't believe, even though you see the sky at night and you say, red sky at night, sailor delight, red sky in morning, sailor take warning. That's in the scriptures that Jesus tells that to the Pharisees. They could see the signs of the sky, but they couldn't believe when Jesus had resurrected. They couldn't believe when Jesus showed miracles. They couldn't believe when they saw God working in their lives. Nathaniel doubts in John 1.46. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can any good come from there? The disciples come to Nathanael and say that, hey, the Messiah has come. He's come out of Nazareth. And Nathanael's like, what? Nazareth? There's no way the Messiah is coming out of Nazareth. Nothing comes out of Nazareth. Most didn't believe. John 12, 37. But despite all the miraculous signs he had done, most of the people did not believe. Do you need me to show you more signs? Shows them more signs. Yeah, we still don't believe. Over and over and over, people didn't believe. So the people that didn't know Jesus didn't believe. Well, that was because they weren't close with him. But surely his own disciples would believe all that time they spent with him? No, no, they didn't either. Many are faithless in doubt. And even in that, God still abounds in grace upon grace. If we doubt, we can know that God will not let us go. If we're in a place of doubt right now, God has not forgotten about you. He is gracious to the doubting and faithless. You might be in a place where you're questioning whether you're even a follower of Jesus because you're doubting. And that is not true. Just because you doubt doesn't mean you're not a follower. But God is gracious to those that are doubting. We need that. I need that. I need God to show me over and over again. Now, the next part, we can see this shift. And for some of us, we might see this shift in our life from where we're not like, we're like in a place of total unbelief. But then we start leaning in a little bit. And we see this in Thomas in the next part of the verse. We see a shift beginning of belief. And you might see this in your friends or your loved ones that, you know what, I'll come out to church and I'll check it out. You know what, I'll go out to Alpha and I'll see. This is, this is us leaning into the Lord a little bit. There's this slight shift in Thomas, almost as if after they told him. So they're like, Jesus is risen. And then he gives them their, you know, the three things. Hands, show me the hands, show me the nails. Let me see the side. I won't believe. But even in that, he was almost trying to be like a tough guy. Say, yeah, I'm not going to believe that. All right, Thomas, we're going back to the house. Oh, maybe I'll, uh, you know, maybe I'll tag along. I have nothing else to do. His actions tell us a different story. Let's see verse 26. So John 20, verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. All right, cool, Nate. Now, again, John, the writer John, put something in there, and we couldn't miss it. And it says, and Thomas was with them. 
And Thomas was with them. And Thomas was with them. Four words, five words. The week prior, he was on his own, doing his own thing. The disciples visit him and tell him, Jesus has risen. He tells him, okay, sure, but I won't believe unless I see it. Now a week later, he's hanging out with them. It's quite possible that Thomas had this glimmer of hope in his unbelief. Why else would John mention, and Thomas was with them? He didn't have to mention that. Like, take that out, and it doesn't change anything. At all. A week later, the disciples were in the house again. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Like, John did not have to include that in there. But it's this little nugget. And Thomas was with them. This one line helps us to see that Thomas began to lean in a bit. Even if he was passively just tagging along. You know, some of you... Some of us come to church and we're, we're absolutely not even sure about this God thing. But you've shown up. And one thing I say often is that nothing is ever by accident. Nothing is a coincidence. God is in control of everything. And if I believe that God is sovereign over all things, then I believe that he is sovereign over you watching this. I believe that he is sovereign over people showing up to church on a Sunday. I believe every conversation the Lord knows is going on. You may not even be sure like who this Jesus guy is. But you're leaning in a little. You're leaning in a little. That's where it begins. When we lean in, when we come out, and we open what the Lord has to say. We might be in a spot where we say, unless you do this, I won't believe. But if you're leaning in ever so slightly, if you attend an alpha night like Audrey, if you sit on the edge of Dundas Peak and say, Lord, help my unbelief, God will meet you there. God is going to meet you there. Jesus shows he's gracious to the doubting, boldly calling Thomas to believe. Jesus has now shown up in the room, and this interaction with Thomas is amazing. Understand that Jesus wasn't there when Thomas gave his list. You know that, right? Like, I know it's a couple sentences before, and Thomas says, I need to see the hands. I need to put my fingers in his arms. I need to put my hand in his side. Jesus wasn't there. And then as soon as Jesus shows up, this is what happens. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand, put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. This is an overwhelming moment. Jesus shows up, lists all the things Thomas listed, and just says, stop it and believe. Now the word here, he says, stop doubting. The word here for doubting is this, doubting. This word speaks to a conflict with oneself in a sense of hesitation, having misgivings, being divided in decision-making. 
wavering beyond between hope and fear. Doubting. What is it that you are fearful of? What is it that is dividing your decision-making? Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling you right now. Is it you don't trust? Is it you have a hard time trusting that God will actually care for you? So you're divided between, you know what? I don't think he's going to care for me, and I think God loves me. But you just, you can't make that decision, so you're doubting. What is it that's making you waver? When Jesus is calling, this is good news. And in this, he's saying, you don't have to doubt. Christ came for you to enter your life right here, right now. Jesus is working on you and he's saying just the same thing he said to Thomas. He's saying, stop doubting and believe. I think in this moment, some translations have an exclamation mark at the end of it. But in this moment, it is, it's Jesus loving care coming alongside Thomas. It's just saying, Thomas, just stop. Just stop doubting. Believe. Believe, brother. This is the gospel, loved ones. God providing a way when we didn't think there was a way. Even when we think we need to clean ourselves up or act a certain way or give up certain things, all these things that are causing us to doubt. You know what? Those things will come. You'll get cleaned up. You'll, you'll begin to trust. Once you've received Christ, he will work on you. It's not the other way around. It's not, okay, now that I've gotten everything right, now, all right, Jesus, I'm ready. Jesus literally called out his disciples that were fishermen and just like, hey, follow me. And they're like, okay. Like, we keep getting it backwards. And know this, that God is gracious to those that are faithless. God is gracious to those that doubt. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to the cross. When you believe Christ will do a good work into you, until its completion. You don't have to clean yourself up. When you believe in Jesus, he is going to do a good work in you until completion. So whatever it is, stop doubting. Believe. Follow Jesus. Believe. You know, the old adage, seeing is believing, reigns true in the next couple of verses. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Like his eyes were just like, poof. he had this like mind blowing moment where Jesus is like, stop doubting and believe Thomas. And he's like, oh my goodness, it's you, Jesus. This whole time, it's you. I can't believe it. Then Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed Jesus in this moment, even though Thomas is doubting the whole time, even though he's like, oh my goodness, my Lord and my God, he reassures him in this. He says, because you have seen me, you believe. He's not just making a statement. He's speaking directly into Thomas's life and reassuring him again. Thomas, because you have seen me, you believe. 
And Thomas could be reassured of that and be like, yeah, you're right. I do see you. Yeah, you're right. I do believe who you are. And this belief is so interesting in this part because Thomas had so many demands. He had so many, right? Three of them? And yet seemingly only one of those were actually fulfilled. In the Wycliffe commentary, it says, there is no evidence that Thomas touched the Savior. The sight of him had been enough. John doesn't write in there, hey, Thomas, stop. Stop doubting. Believe. Okay, first, come, come touch the scars. Put your hand in my side. And then it doesn't say, and then Thomas went over to Jesus and touched his scars and then put his hand in his side and then he believed. No, he just said, oh my goodness, my Lord and my God. As soon as Thomas saw the Savior, that is all he needed. Thomas went from unbelief to one who believed. He had walked through the same steps as Abraham and others in the past, but only by the graciousness of Christ was this able to happen. Because Jesus is gracious to the doubting and the faithless. Thomas went from doubt to belief, again, pointing to, Tom, pointing to God's grace, allowing Thomas to see immediately. And then lastly, those that believe without seeing are blessed. As we look to Jesus' response in the second half of verse 29, I want to really help us see the weight of what he said and what this could mean for some of us that may be in a place of doubt or unbelief. Jesus says this, Blessed is those who have not yet seen, but have believed. The difference from his commending of Thomas is that those who have not seen are blessed. He says, what does he say there? Um, because you have seen me, you have believed. Okay. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Does this mean Thomas is not blessed? No, no. But we do have to take note that Jesus' emphasis here. Not to take away from Thomas's belief, but to say, if you have not seen and you believe, you are blessed even more. This word blessed comes from the Greek word makarios. Makarios. And Jack Hayford refers to this word and he says, it is a grace word that expresses their spiritual, their special joys and satisfaction granted to a person who experiences salvation. Blessed. Matthew Henry also says about this word, it is a greater instance of the power of divine grace. Are you hearing that, folks? Are you hearing that, loved ones? Grace. Grace. It is a grace word. The power of divine grace. For by grace you have been set free. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You are free from your old life. You are free from those chains. And if you believe and have not seen, you are blessed. This entire interaction with Thomas is bathed in grace. And then it's closed off with Jesus saying, If you, unlike Thomas, believe who I am, that I came to save you, You've been blessed with abundance. 
you've been surely blessed. God has allowed you to have this temper of mind to not doubt. And I, I know so many friends that are in that and in a small way, I wish that was my temperament. I wish that, wow, I can't believe you don't doubt. I doubt so often. But you're blessed. You're blessed with abundance when you do not doubt. To not fight with your inner self, but to allow grace, the grace of God to work in your life. And those that had to wait to see, look back and wonder. You know, those that had to wait later in their lives because they doubted for so long, look back and wonder, I wonder how different my life could have been had I believed earlier, had I not doubted, had I not put up these walls. You know, loved ones, there's this really special place in my heart. And um, my previous pastor, Daryl Molyneux, really kind of accentuated this when he said, those that have, you know, the boring stories where they've grown up in a, in a Christian home and they have Christian parents and they are just, uh, just loved and cared for, but they don't have this story of, you know, they went off and did drugs and all this stuff and then Jesus rescued them. That is a picture of God's grace in their life. And that is an amazing picture. And that is an amazing story. That is an amazing story of God's grace just being poured out. So if you are in that place, just be encouraged. Be encouraged. That young man sitting, looking over Dundas Peak, asking God to help his unbelief. God had to do to him what he did to Thomas. God had to bring to him, him to a place where he said, stop, just stop. Stop doubting and believe. You can see it, Nate. You can see it in Scripture. You can see it by the people I've surrounded you with. You can see it in every circumstance. Stop doubting. Are you here and you're doubting? Are you here and you're just waiting for a sign? Or are you hearing God has revealed himself to you and you just need to step out in faith and belief? Do not turn this video off. Do not walk away until doing business with God. Right now. God is calling you. He's saying, stop it. Believe. Follow me. I'll finish with this. Stop doubting. Believe. Jesus is gracious to the doubting and the faithless. And, there is, and he's offering you grace today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the, the stories that you intricately weave throughout your word to just show us, to show us who you are, show us what your character is. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to get a picture, picture window into who you are, 
and how gracious you are to us, Lord, even those that are doubting. You're not harsh on us. You're all but. You're gracious, caring, loving. Lord, I pray for those right now that are wrestling with this. I pray that they would come to a place where they'd listen to your voice and they'd hear, stop doubting. Stop doubting whoever you are. Stop it. Believe. Follow me. Your life will be abundantly filled with Jesus. So Father, I just thank you again for this time. Thank you so much that you're here, Lord. You're in our presence. You're working among us. In your name I pray. Amen.